Welcome to the Black Sparrow Media Internet Broadcast Network. Listening to Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a podcast about Linux, open source, and amateur radio for everyone. Now, here are your hosts Russ, K5TUX, Cheryl, W5MOO, and Bill, NE4RD. Well, hello everybody and welcome. You have tuned in to episode number 485 of Linux in the Hamshack, the most terrific amateur radio podcast on the internet. This is our deep dive episode, so we welcome you all into our deep dive, and we're glad you're here with us to talk about the topic we're about to talk about. But before we get into talking about the topic we're about to talk about, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD. Welcome in, everybody. And as luck would have it, Bill decided to dig a topic out of the archive or, or something, or just, I, I know we were having a discussion about this actually a day or two ago. And so that's probably what generated this topic. So our topic is how does one QSL? And uh, I don't know that we've ever really talked about that on this show at all. And uh, probably because I'm really terrible about QSLing, but <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Are you, are you a good QSLer? Do you keep everybody abreast of uh, all the contacts you've made? Uh, you know, basically electronically, I do. Um, paper generally, you know, if someone sends me a card, I'll send them a card back if, if I'm, if I'm remember. <laughs> yeah. Elect- electronically, again, I'm in the same boat as you, but that's only because it sort of does it automatically and I don't have to worry about it. <laughs> But uh, the the beauty of electronic QSLing and the beauty of trusted QSL, which is one of the things we're going to talk about, probably actually the first thing we're going to talk about. So we'll let Bill go ahead and lead us into our topic of QSL. Yeah, we we kind of tiptoed a little bit into QSLing before when we uh, started talking about logging applications and and why you should be logging and the importance of logging your contacts and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, I just started getting a lot of <clears throat> random emails of, uh, QSL cards and stuff like that. And I was like, you know, let's, let's go revisit this topic in full one more time. And let's talk a little bit about the QSLing options that are out there and, uh, you know, what generally most people are using <clears throat> to, uh, to do their QSLing. And I guess we'll touch base with the very first, uh, first bullet point here, which are all the, uh, the electronic QSL services. Uh, one that we're very familiar with, which is Logbook of the World or LOTW. Uh, this is the ARRL's uh, log logging confirmation service. And this also gives you access to all the ARRL awards like DXCC, Worked All States, Worked All Zones, uh, Worked All Continents. And uh, as well, you get to access to the CQ awards, which was added a few years ago of uh, WPX, which are the prefixes. And uh, I believe... Uh, what is the other one? I believe they also have a worked all, a worked all zones award, uh, that's in there. So if you're interested in, in doing, um, uh, QSL confirmations electronically and you're interested in collecting some wallpaper for your shack, uh, logbook of the world is, is a great place to start. It does require you, uh, uh, getting a certificate, 
to uh, sign your logs, your ADIFs that you actually uh, transmit to the logbook of the world server. Uh, so you have to sign every uh, every transmission. And then as well, you can download all your confirmations and whatnot at some periodic instance, you know, whether that be daily or every time you upload, you download some. Um, your uploaded logs are not processed instantly. Uh, they have gotten a lot better, but of course, in heavy contests or, you know, contest weekends and whatnot, <clears throat> it will be delayed when you upload your log. It might take a little bit of processing time. And then uh, those uh, QSLs will start uh, confirming uh, with uh, people that have also uploaded their log to Logbook of the World. So uh, primarily, that's that's the one that I personally use uh, often. And uh, I think that's the only one I have set up right now on my uh, on my rebuild shack computer here. Um, the other electronic uh, QSL service that people are familiar with is the EQSL. And EQSL has their own set of awards. And I believe they're not, uh, you know, interchangeable with the, the logbook, the world ones or the ARRL and CQ awards. So if you're interested in tracking awards in the EQSL space for their particular awards, uh, which you can go to their website, uh, eqsl.cc and uh, see what kind of awards that they have, uh, those would be available through that. And most of your modern loggers will handle both logbook, the world and EQSL with little to no effort beyond just setting up your username and password inside of your configuration and uh, basically just transmitting the, the the QSLs that you or the QSOs that you have that you want to try to get confirmed through those services. So those are the two big ones. And I know there are other electronic services out there, but they're not specifically for um, not specifically for awards. They might have some of their own awards, but we'll mention those a little bit later in the list of uh, electronic QSL services. Um, the other option for award tracking, again, if you're interested in awards, is, of course, paper. And paper is the old-fashioned way <laughs> of actually sending your, your card out to people and uh, get, trying to get a card back. And most people have learned if you want a card back, you send a self-addressed stamped envelope in there. Um, and that generally will get you a card back. If you do not send a self-addressed stamped envelope, you know, you know, your, your mileage may vary and you probably won't get a card back. Um, so if you're interested in collecting cards, uh, like real paper cards, um, uh, that's the way you want to do it. Put a SAZE in there and mail it. Now, what happens if you have to deal with, um, uh, DX QSLs? So it's out of the country, you know, what do you do? There's uh there's services called a QSL manager service. Um, the one that I could find uh, is uh, K3FN's QSL manager service, and they have their own little web page there, airmailpostage.com. And they take care of uh, doing a QSL service specifically for you. Um, obviously, if you pay, <laughs> it is a paid service. And they give you information on exactly what they can QSL and how they do it and everything else. A lot of people uh, will use uh, this as instead of um, uh, what uh, what you generally hear is, uh, you know, you, I'm fine in the Bureau. Um, B-U-R-O is normally how it's uh, <laughs> abbreviated out there in the ham radio space. Um, a Bureau is is different than this. So this is this is a different paid service for uh, taking care of those DX QSL cards. So real QSL cards. The other QSL card service would be through the bureaus. Um, AWRL supplies a incoming and outgoing service. So the incoming obviously is for QSLs destined for you. And uh, these are generally handled through uh, by your 
uh, numeric portion of your call sign. So even though I'm in seven land, my numeric portion is four. So any four RD. So I would use the four QSL uh, bureau for my incoming ARRL or my incoming QSL cards from DX. You do have to uh, establish uh, an account there and money to pay for mailing. And generally what they'll do is they'll bundle up uh, uh, a bundle <laughs> of QSL cards. You won't get like one at a time here and there. You'll actually get a stack of cards at one time uh, as they build up in the bureau. Now the outgoing service, I, I've never, I've never actually used it, but uh, I'm just going to uh, to hit the website here real quick, just so I can have some of the information here. Um, there is a uh, there is a charge, obviously, for using it for sending out uh, cards, uh, and they have a rate for ten or fewer cards, or a rate for you know more cards, depending upon how many you're actually sending out. And uh, you should follow the instructions there. You also have to set up an account. And uh, they'll take care of getting those out to where they need to go. Um, and they do the same thing. They bundle them to uh, the QSL manager in the foreign you know, DXCC. And that's generally how the stuff gets passed around through the bureaus. So every, every uh, DXCC entity will, well, can. <laughs> they don't have to have one. But they can have a, uh, a bureau that basically does the same thing. They take a bundle of incoming cards. And then they, uh, they'll sort them uh, appropriately and then get them to where they need to go in the same kind of process, probably a bundled configuration where, you know, as more cards come in, then they'll, they'll get those to those people. So going through the bureau can take some time to get a card. Um, but if you're collecting the real cards, you know, it is definitely the way to go. It's definitely not as, as fast or as efficient as using something like logbook of the world is. But not every DXCC entity or, you know, DX contact is going to have a logbook of the world account, although they have made it tremendously easier for uh, DXC, uh, DX entities to get a logbook of the world certificate and then be able to actually electronically uh, get your confirmations that way. Um, and you put in here uh, some of these, uh, the nets, the what, what is this, the worked all states nets? Yeah, there's there's lots of nets out there. Worked all states, worked all countries. Um, there's like the 3905 Century Club. There's OMIS. There's the Triple H. These are all nets uh, on HF dedicated to helping people make contacts and get awards. They're they're generally called awards nets or specialty nets or things like that. And generally speaking, or at least everyone that I've participated in has their own bureau that's similar to the ARRL's bureau, but it's specific to the net. So if you're a member of these awards nets and you join, you basically have to send them a few dollars or whatever, and then they put a pool of self-addressed stamped envelopes in a, in a bin, and then when you make contacts, you send them a bunch of QSL cards for them to distribute, and then they get them in. And then as as your inbox, you know, fills up, just like with the ARRL, they'll wait till you get 10, 15, 20, whatever fits in a in an envelope, and then they'll ship it off to you. And then all you have to do is every once in a while, when you start running low on envelopes in the bureau, you send them a few more dollars, and they keep, you know, control of your QSL cards for you. And uh, like I said, for, for each of these specialty nets or these uh, awards nets, they all have their own bureaus. So you, so you might find yourself in uh, in many, many bureaus. So, but all the bureaus, 
all, all the bureaus <laughs> all the time. It does, it does <laughs> sort of make it nice where you only have to send your cards to one place and they all get to where they need to go. And then all the ones coming from wherever they are that are, you know, headed for you make it to your mailbox. So, I mean, bureaus definitely serve a, a decent purpose and usually it's a minimal expense. Yeah, and it makes it tremendously easy to send cards overseas and get cards back overseas, which, you know, there's weird, um, weird, uh, you know, postage costs and, you know, stuff like that. Some people like collecting the stamps and stuff, which, uh, you know, can be an interesting part of the, uh, the collection of these DX QSL cards. So it's, it's kind of nice to use the bureaus when you're, when you're wanting to get those paper cards and also, you know, get the, uh, the postage stamps from the foreign country as well. Yep. Absolutely. I, I'm, that's what I've done most of my QSLing and otherwise it's pretty much been direct. I, I don't think I've ever used the ARRL. So yeah, I haven't either. <laughs> Should have, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. You make enough, uh, DX contacts. It's, it's probably worth your time. Yeah, absolutely. So some of the other, uh, electronic services that I mentioned before that aren't necessarily for award tracking and some wouldn't be considered valid for some awards, but you know, some people like having, uh, their logs, uh, in other areas so they can also be shared for like-minded individuals. Um, you know, things that come to mind would be club log as uh, real popular for uh, people doing, uh, um, the expeditions and stuff like that. Uh, they have a service uh, for incoming and outgoing uh, QRS. So that's a uh, QSL, uh, QSL, blah, 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 service, something like that. I can't remember what the R stands for, but, <laughs> um, but basically uh, you can pay to get a, a card from uh, a de-exposition. Uh, some people frown on it a little bit just because, uh, um, well, you know, because you're basically paying for a QSL card. <laughs> um, but in essence, it also helps fund the de-expedition. Uh, so you generally see the, the, the OQRS service, you know, applied to those de-expeditions that are, you know, looking for funding. And this is just another way that they can help, uh, fund, uh, their de-expedition, which are, of course, very expensive and, um, uh, might, might be rightfully so to, uh, to charge for some of those QSL service to help recover some of the costs for actually uh, running the de-expedition. But some of the other electronic request uh, areas that you can find are like CAMQTH actually has a log storage system and uh, they'll, they'll confirm contacts again, not specifically for award tracking uh, within like the ARRL or CQ awards. Um, the QRZ.com, which a lot of people use for, you know, call sign lookups. Uh, same thing. They have a, a log thing that they've added to their uh, product uh, quite a while ago. And a lot of people do uh, transmit their logs to QRZ. I've had a, quite a few requests to transmit my logs there, but I've, I've never done so. Um, HRD log is another one, uh, which of course it pairs up with uh, the ham radio deluxe users. So they have their own sort of log sharing and log confirmation service that's available to their, uh, uh, to their application users, but you can, if you're not using HRD, you can still transmit your log uh, to HRD log um, just by setting up an account there, I believe. And uh, a lot of people starting to email. I noticed, uh, uh, you know, since I've been uh, operating quite a bit of uh, FT8 over the past uh, week or so here on 10 meters and 12 meters, I've been getting some automated emails and some individual emails, uh, one specifically from this PA4R ham tools which I'm not terribly familiar with, but it looks like some sort of automated uh, uh, email tool for your logs that generates a, you know, a, a you know, canned copy of the log and also attaches a, a QSL card that's filled out electronically from what it appears. 
And uh, I think there's like another one too, a PHP something something or another. I I I I just noticed it the other the other day, but I I lost the link to it. <laughs> so uh, there's quite a few of these little automated tools that kind of just read through your ADFs, and uh, if it matches up with uh, an email address for the end user, I'm assuming through some service like QRZ or something like that, where your email is actually in there, uh, it'll go ahead and email the end user and. Uh, I'm not sure that's valid for anything either uh, with, with regards to awards, but you know some people are quite happy to use these tools to uh, initiate engagement to their uh, to their contact and to their log. Um, and uh, that's that's primarily the ones that I have found over the years and uh, have used. I think I have logins to all of these. I, I don't transmit to all of them, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm pretty certain I have accounts on on most of these, um, you know, except for like the, the PA4R ham tools. I'm not real familiar with uh, that. That looks uh, fairly new to me, at least uh, with uh, receiving emails in the past week from it. Uh, and you put in here, roll your own. So what were you thinking there? I've, I've seen a couple of instances where people are looking for some way to self-generate and electronically distribute QSL cards based on either a photo image or a digitally created QSL where it's entirely, you know, in-house where it's, it's something on a machine. Like you've got uh, PHP scripts or, or something like that to generate QSL cards and distribute them electronically as opposed to using an electronic bureau or, or even direct paper QSLs or something like that. Uh, I don't have a specific example of that, but I, I know I've seen it being tossed around. So it's, it's certainly something you could do if you maybe found yourself, uh, programmatically inclined or something like that and you wanted to have your own method of distributing qsl cards uh that was really all i had for that do you uh so have you used qrz for that no no i haven't <laughs> no see i haven't I, i've never paid for any of the services provided by qrz uh club log keeps track of a lot of information and they're free as far as i know I, i've never used any of the sort of advanced features with hand qth either so I guess, I guess for me, it's been strictly logbook of the world, but you know what, because of, uh, how prevalent that's becoming and because they digitally sign all the, the contacts and everything, they've really made for a good system of getting QSLs back and forth. The only drawback, of course, is you don't have a, a physical copy, but of course you can print anything, right? So do, does there, do people have printers anymore? Yeah, I guess they do. <laughs> Occasionally, right? Occasionally, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's not we're, very common, I guess. We're I mean. printer poor around here. So for some reason, we always have to print things. So, <laughs> but yeah. So if you're really wanting to uh, to uh, to track and and do awards tracking and and get get some of these awards and uh, certificates and whatnot for your efforts inside the ham radio, especially in the U.S., Logbook of the World is is generally the way to go with that. Uh, that'll definitely get you know they have their own um specific awards they even have like uh, the triple play that came out as well that if you know get 50 states you know you get your worked all states and uh single sideband cw and digital um you know you get the, get a triple play award uh which i'm still one shy of surprisingly <laughs> well i guess know. it's a uh, sideband uh yeah i think it actually is i think it's like <laughs> it's ne it's nebraska on sideband or something stupid like that so 
And I keep saying, oh, I'm going to get on the QSO party and I'll, I'll work some CW and some sideband calls to make up for it. But I, I apparently haven't done that yet. <laughs> but I did poke into the, the CQ awards uh, just to kind of see like the prefix awards. And apparently I got, I got almost all of them except for uh, I think I'm about 50, uh, 50 prefixes short on uh, on uh, CW. I have like 249 prefixes, but uh, for mixed, I have like 721 prefixes. <laughs> so I've worked quite a few prefixes uh, for the uh, the WPX uh, CQ awards. So, um, but yeah, I think it's I think it's interesting. I actually have never applied for any awards through Logbook of the World either. So maybe I'm a, a bad example because I'm not uh, not getting all the all the certificates that I possibly could be getting for. Yes, you do have to pay for them. Uh, obviously, cause you know, it's not free for them to print and mail and everything else. So you kind of pay for that, uh, that, that awards service in those, uh, in those, uh, logbook of the world confirmations. But, uh, it's definitely easier than, uh, bringing a stack of cards to, uh, to, to a convention or a hamvention or one of those things where they actually do, uh, uh, sign off on your QSL cards for your awards. And I remember, you know, in the old days, <laughs> These guys bringing in these, you know, stacks and stacks of cards, because uh, you know, obviously, but DXCC you have to get what a hundred, hundred TX countries. Yep. So uh, that that's a lot of cards to track with you. Uh, so uh, yeah, I think this has made it a really easy uh, for people to uh, get involved in some of that awards uh, activity. The thing is, um, how, was, how did that work it when you had, like, you could have a hundred QSL cards from a hundred different DXCC entities, but how do they verify them? That, well, they have to, they, they I, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be some authoritative service person that actually does it and can sign off on the cards. Um, and they always offer that service, um, at the bigger, uh, ham, you know, the ham fests and stuff like that. So apparently there is a, a certified way probably through the ARRL, much like uh, the VE has done. Um, you know, so it's a, it's a probably a, you know, you have to be certified to sign off on that stuff. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's still, still done that way if people want to do paper cards. Um, but, uh, the easy, easy mode, of course, is electronic. Well, yeah, absolutely. Because it's much easier to verify when you have a two logbook of the world contacts that have, you know, the, the bi-directional communication and you can cross reference them. That's what I was saying when you're doing it for, for paper contacts, I mean, you're generally not going to have your own yeah you don't need to have your own you just have to have their card with your call sign on it in the confirmation so yeah okay and it it would be it'd be harder to have their card illegitimately i would think (laughs) yeah you would think so but it seems to me like there's much bigger opportunity for for fraud there not like anybody's going to go out and try and defraud their dxcc certificate or whatever but uh you know, at least with logbook of the world, you you genuinely have uh, signed communication in both directions. You can you can easily verify that the the QSO took place. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah, definitely a much better and uh, more transparent way of uh, of doing it. That's for sure. Cool. Was that all you got? That was it. It's not a huge huge topic, but I just thought since uh, yeah, since I'm being hammered with emails and stuff like that, that I'm. A, never going to respond to. <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah, people, come on, let's uh, let's make sure we're doing logbook of the world and EQSL, and uh, you know some of those, and uh, yeah, yeah, especially if you if you really want to take it to the, I guess the next level, if an award is actually the next level for an individual, uh, you know, I'm not not quite sure. And one nice thing about it is logbook of the world. Generally, they have an API, of course, and it's 
generally written into and interfaces with most logging software that's available, whether it's Windows, Linux, Mac OS, whatever. And so if nothing else, if you keep all of your contacts in Logbook of the World just as a centralized repository for keeping your logbook, you have all of the additional benefits of being able to do award tracking and so forth. And since it interfaces with so many different software packages, it becomes very easy to just make, you know, give yourself a central backup of, of all your log data. So it's sort of yeah, a du- double benefit there. Yeah, it can it can stand as sort of a backup to your log, which is which is quite nice. There is a unfortunately like EQSL. I noticed there's like a lot of garbage contacts that come in there that aren't confirmed. Um, where like Logbook of the World, I think I I only have like three three contacts over the last you know you know twelve years or something like that <laughs> have not matched up with anything in my log. Um, but like I know with EQSL, I'll get all kinds of random uh, QSLs. Our QSO requests that uh, aren't uh, aren't valid according to my log. Yeah, and if you've ever dealt with EQSL.cc as an interface, you'll discover just how kludgy it is. There, I know they're doing some some redesign and they're trying to make it easier, but it's never been particularly friendly to get in there and look to see what contacts have come in, which ones are verified, which ones you've done, and and check around and stuff like that. Logbook of the world is easier in a sense because it doesn't have really its own interface. It does. You can log into the logbook of the world on the web and it, and it's much easier to navigate. EQSL has always seemed just really clunky to me. So that's another reason why I've tended towards the ARRL system. Yeah, I agree with that. All right. Well, I think we hammered that home as much as we needed to. Yeah, yeah I think so. <laughs> right. On to announcements and feedback. Woohoo. <laughs> All right, let's go ahead and do it. And uh, let's see, the first one is about one of your videos, and I think it's directed directly to you, so I'll let you go ahead and take the first one. Oh, sure, yeah, it's a YouTube comment from Thomas. He says, thanks a lot, man. This is this was great. Subbed, the equivalent Arch Linux to dial out is UUCP. Yes, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> and I did find that out myself. So, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, uh, you know, everything's not always the same every uh, every distribution. So, um, yeah, Arch does use a different group for their uh, their serial permissions when you go ahead and add yourself uh, to to enable your your ability to connect to your serial devices. It is a little different on Arch, so it's a different uh, different group. So, yeah, thanks a lot for for that comment, Thomas. That's great, and thanks for seven. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was going to say the UUCP thing that that is a super legacy thing well dial out is pretty old too but uucp is much older have you have you ever sent an email by uucp i don't recall so <laughs> yeah I, I i have that was a long time ago so if you're in the i sent an email by uucp club you're probably in the aarp as well <laughs> <laughs> so all right next one is a comment on episode wait what is this thing oh Oh, I forgot about that thing. Um, the, the next thing, the thing I'm not reading. Sorry, I got distracted. Uh-oh, something shiny. Because I was going to bring Sherilyn to read this one, but no, Cheryl says no. Okay. So <laughs> we have a comment on episode number 484 from Sequeliter. This was the last episode we did. Uh, he says, the Sequelite fork is propaganda from an attempted woke coup of a project that is trusted for the very reasons the woke don't like it. Nothing has changed with Sequelite, as you can see here. And he linked to the licensing of Sequelite. 
Now, I don't remember if we mentioned the fact that SQLite was public domain, but it is public domain, and as such, they don't accept contributions. And I honestly have slept since the last time we did the show, and I don't remember if we talked about the fact that LibSQL, the reason for LibSQL is because they actually allow community contribution, which uh, SQLite does not. That was sort of the the reason for the rift. And uh, you you put in something extra here, Bill. So if you want to comment on that, well, I just I just thought since uh, he mentioned woke twice, it was probably worthwhile for the use of the actual definition of woke, <laughs> which we hear all too often. And woke, uh, the definition of woke, according to Merriam-Webster, is one who is aware of and actively attentive to important facts and issues, and that's it. <laughs> Especially issues of racial and social justice, of course, but also uh, you know. That's interested in the fact that, yeah, they're not taking contributions. And obviously some people that use this, the product wanted to contribute and keep moving it in a direction that they wanted to. But like, that's the whole point of open source, I think. So I think as, as anybody that supports SQLite, you would also have to support the idea that you can fork it at any point in time and move it in your own direction. And if it gains traction, uh, that's, that's just the way it is. And, uh, if anything, it's, 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 it's gotta be flattery, right? I wouldn't consider it a coup of anything. I would consider it, uh, uh, you know, flattery on the project that it's so good that, you know, people want to, want to do their own thing with it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure there's some, you know, <laughs> pissing matches back and forth and stuff like that inside and outside the community with regards to it. And I'm not really part of it, so I don't really care, but, uh, I just think that anytime you see something that does fork, uh, it's not a bad thing in general for the project because that's the whole point of, of it being open source is that you're supposed to be able to do that and it should be embraced by the community, not necessarily, you know, you know, wagging a finger at somebody and stuff like that. <laughs> oh, you shouldn't do that. Blah, 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 blah. But you know, anyway, um, yeah, the open source, that, that's what we're doing here. Free and open source software, fork it, you know, make it your own, do whatever you want with it, share it back. If it gets committed back to the main repo, then it does. If it doesn't, then, well, it doesn't. That's just the way it is. That's why it's a fork. Yeah, well, you can't actually contribute back to the main fork of SQLite because it's public domain. So it's it's a a specific kind of open source that sort of doesn't permit that kind of modification. They said they do accept community contributions, but it says down at the very bottom of the licensing page that if we like your contribution, thanks for submitting it. And don't be offended if we rewrite it ourselves and put it in the code block just to make sure there nothing proprietary lands inside of SQLite. So, yeah, I mean, I can understand that, too. They don't they want to see, you know, stuff from uh, Stack Overflow in there and stuff like that. <laughs> you know, cut and paste or stuff that ran from GitHub Copilot or something like that. <laughs> Maybe, you know, necessarily lifted off of something else. But, um, but yeah, I mean, forking is still, is still a good, good method of, uh, being able to contribute, uh, com you know, community contributions into a project. Um, it's just living as a fork. It's not living as the main line. Yep. Absolutely. And Bill, you can cover this last one, which is a thing that happened a couple of days ago that I forgot about and somebody should have reminded me of, but <laughs> I think you would have been too sick to even attend. So. Uh, I, was, anyway. I was probably fine on Friday, but 
Okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. But anyway, yeah, the Porter County uh, ARC in Indiana uh, requested a Linux presentation. This was uh, asked by uh, Paul Braun of uh, WD9GCO of, of course, Amateur Radio Newsline, and he's the president of the uh, Porter County ARC. They wanted a presentation for his club Zoom meeting on October 14th. Uh, the session went pretty well and hopefully receive hopefully we receive more requests like this. We, we always are interested in uh, in you know being able to join a club meeting and and giving a presentation on on Linux and uh, yeah there were some questions there that I definitely could have used you on like uh, they asked where did the logo come from and I know you've answered that before <laughs> <laughs> and and the music so I was like oh yeah I, I you know Russ Russ is better to answer those questions than me <laughs> but it was it was a fun evening and. Uh, uh, definitely, uh, it's definitely fun to do, and especially since so many clubs are still meeting via Zoom and whatnot. So, you know, let us know if you're interested in uh, having us join you. Um, we definitely can find time that's uh, compatible for you know one of us, two of us, three of us, you know, what have you. Um, we'd just like to like to know. Very good. Do we happen to know if that Zoom meeting was recorded? I think it was. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's uh, distributed beyond the club members or not. And uh, hopefully not, because you know, I mean, I'm 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 a mess when I do those things. So, you know, <laughs> just all scatterbrained, much like uh, here on the podcast. So it's almost like you know, you get you get you got six years of listening to me be scatterbrained and stuff like that. So <laughs> that's okay. You don't need I'll, it anymore. <laughs> I'll, I'll email Paul and see if they got a copy of it somewhere. I would definitely like to see it. So so maybe you should cool. Russ, Russ should answer the questions about where the logo came from and about the music. Well, yeah, I guess I go. could do that. Wow, <laughs> look at you on the ball. <laughs> the logo was commissioned by a gentleman named Len Peralta. Uh, he does all kinds of artwork. I'm not exactly sure what he's working on these days, but I'm sure he's probably still doing commissions. He used to do a thing called uh, Monsters by Mail or so, so, something yeah, along those lines a, where yeah. you could commission him to draw you as, as a, a monster, monster and... They were greeting cards and things like that. And he was sort of a friend of a friend of ours, you know, based on some of our connections in the music industry, they used him for artwork in the past. And so we decided to use him as well because we really liked his artwork. And that is where the artwork came from. So if you're interested in checking out Len Peralta's work, you know, go ahead and Google for him. He'll, he'll be the first thing you come to, I'm sure. And then the music, the music, uh, this, this was actually going to come up as a trivia question. I think maybe a, about our episode 500 giveaway. So this might be a perfect time to give out the information. So we know who's listening. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the music was commissioned, uh, if you will, I didn't pay him anything. He was just a good friend of mine. Um, his name is Dave long and I used to work with him when I lived in Maine. And he's been, a, he was a musician forever and ever and ever and ever. And he has since passed. He has since passed. He, he died in December of 2019, I think. Um, 20, 2018, 2019. Yeah. It's been, it's been a little bit. Um, so we're definitely, uh, we mentioned that on the show when we found out about it for sure. And, um, but he is the one who created the music. And the the title of the track, I think I have mentioned this before in, in the past, but I don't know, so I'm going to tell it again now, is called Bacon, Linux, and Tomato. 
So that's that's the name of the title track. He actually did um, an intro version, an outro version, and an alternate intro and outro, which I have played a couple of times in the past. You you probably rarely heard them, but they have been aired. Um, but this was the uh, the primary take and the one I liked the best for sure. So that is where the logo and the music came from. Sweet. <laughs> <laughs> And we definitely want, oh, and, um, since we're talking about where things came from, uh, astute listeners of the podcast might notice that there is a, a British woman who speaks at the intro and outro. Um, and they might be wondering who she is. <laughs> so if that is the case, her name is Caroline Lee. She's from Yorkshire in England. And she is one of the co-hosts of the Bugcast podcast, which is a music-based podcast. And uh, for those of you who have heard the call sign G7VRI and John the Nice Guy, he uh, has a website called CC Hits, where he keeps track of open source music. And they play all, well, mo- primarily uh, Creative Commons music on that podcast. And it's something I've listened to. I've, you know, uh, Dave is a listener of ours and we're a listener of his, of course, and all of that. And, uh, I just thought it'd be kind of nice to have a different voice for the intro and outro. And, uh, you know, British voices always sound great. So, uh, I commissioned once again, Caroline to do the intro and outro voicing. And I thought they came out pretty good. So that's where that came from. I'm not sure if there's any other, um, Oh, and the, the little stinger thing at the beginning where it's, uh, you know, it says welcome to Black Sparrow Media Network thing. That was me screwing around on GarageBand. So, <laughs> so I think that answers all those I questions. I think that's everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> all the trivia questions are answered now. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. So we have, since Cheryl's, uh, having trouble with, uh, coughing, luckily we have a nice, really short new subscribers supporters and live participants list for tonight so we'll go ahead and let you get through that all righty then so for our subscribers and patreons facebook twitter and youtube nobody does that's because the last episode was like uh two days ago two or three days ago (laughs) so So on discord we have orbiting cheddar and fat or fat uh no merchandise sales no mailing list on the live chat we have Winston, KD2WLL, Tony, K4XSS, and Dan, KB6NU. All right. Well, that brings us down to the end of the show. So we'll go ahead and wrap it up here. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to this deep dive, our episode number 485 of Linux in the Ham Shack. We hope you enjoyed it, and we hope you'll tune in for the short topics episode next time around. And in the meantime, have a great week, and we'll talk to you all then. I'm Russ, K5TUX. I'm Cheryl, W5MOO. And I'm Bill, NE4RD73. Thank you for listening to this episode of Linux in the Hamshack. LHS is a community-sponsored podcast. Our website is located at lhspodcast.info. You can support the podcast by visiting the LHS Patreon page at patreon.com stroke lhspodcast or by using the contribute list on the homepage. We have a presence on Discord, Facebook, IRC, Twitter, and YouTube. You can also drop us an email at info at lhspodcast.info or leave us a voicemail at 1909 LHS Show. That's 1909 
547-7469. Visit the online LHS merchandise store at shop.lhspodcast.info for fun and fashionable show-themed merchandise. Until next time, remember to always heed your hedonism.